Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today for episode 345, my guest is Danny Brewster. He's the founder and CEO of Fast Bitcoins, and he joins me to talk about why Bitcoin needs builders. We talk about dealing with regulation as a Bitcoin business, products and services for Bitcoiners, expanding into new markets around the world, and some of the challenges and rewards of being Bitcoin only. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to purchase Bitcoin while also learning about Bitcoin. And if you are interested to give the gift of Bitcoin, go to swanbitcoin.com gifts. You can give a gift and that recipient will then be able to sign up with Swan and then convert the US dollar value of what you gifted them into Bitcoin. And you're not just giving, gifting them Bitcoin, you're also gifting them Swan's world-class customer service and education. So that website, swanbitcoin.com gift. Are you interested in Bitcoin DeFi? Lend at HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously. So if you need some liquidity, you can sign up in just 30 seconds and borrow stablecoins without any verification. You deal directly with other people and the interest is all paid at the end. On the other hand, if you have some stable coins and you are looking to earn some extra on those, you can lend them out at the highest returns, issuing out over collateralized loans with the full interest guaranteed. Lend at HODL HODL. Lend and borrow stable coins on your terms at your desired interest rates. There are no hidden fees and the users control the keys in the deal in escrow. Go and check it out. Lend.hodlhodl.com. Brains are a Bitcoin mining company and they are producing Brains OS Plus. This is a firmware you can install on your ASIC to use the auto-tuning feature that optimizes your performance. You're getting more hash rate for your electricity bill. And they also operate Slush Pool, the first Bitcoin mining pool. And Jack Dorsey just recently announced that he is using Slush Pool to mine his sats. Now, if you use Brains OS Plus, the firmware, and you point your hash rate towards Slush Pool, you actually get the benefit of a 0% pool fee rate. So that's also a great benefit there for you. And the Brains team are hiring. So if you're interested, they're looking for developers, system programmers, hardware architects, and more. So go and check out the careers page on their website. That site is brains.com. Brains with two eyes. And now onto the show with Danny. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, it has. Been a long time, long time listener and Patreon. <laughs> yes, that's right. So thank you for your support, Danny. And yeah, I know uh, you've got a lot of things on. You've been in and around the uh, Bitcoin world for a while now. So uh, do you want to just give a bit of a background for yourself for any listeners who don't know you? So I've been in Bitcoin far too long and I've discovered Bitcoin End of 11, early 12. The price was much, much lower. I should have bought far more. I lived in Cyprus during the, the bail-ins. I had a, a crazy, stupid idea that was far too early um, to, to give the local Cypriots uh, an option to be able to use and Bitcoin in their daily lives. Uh, it exploded in a great ball of um, fire. The media ran with lots of incorrect narratives, but ultimately it was my fault through a whole bunch and series of mistakes. But a lot of the ideas that I had have eventually played out in the the market and we have multi-signature wallets and people have point of sale devices where they can now spend Bitcoin uh, in stores. Obviously, everything with Lightning has been an amazing development and I am... been like Bitcoin only since I sold the last of the Litecoin that I mined in the peak of 2013, I think. Uh, and since that point in time, 
Spotify has been purely Bitcoin only. Uh, I think it's the only one that, that we have any chance with changing the world with really and uh, just continued to, to build whilst I was sorting out the mess from Cyprus and built what uh, eventually became uh, Fast Bitcoins. And uh, ultimately, as everything got cleared up, it's gone from strength to strength and life has changed a lot over the years. Bitcoin's changed tremendously. A lot of the mistakes have been rehashed over and over. The same frustrations remain. Uh, there's still a whole bunch of misinformation out there uh, that gets parroted every day. But ultimately, just keep trying to build and, and bring more people into Bitcoin. I think that's the only way that we can achieve critical mass. And that, that's just trying to be a builder and to get more people into using Bitcoin, really. Sure. And so with Fast Bitcoins, do you want to just give us a bit of an overview? How long has the business been around now? And what are the main products and services uh, Fast Bitcoins offers now? Okay, so to start with, um, I looked at the Bitcoin ATM business model for cash to Bitcoin transactions. And just watching people pay 25, 30% was infuriating. So initially started off before the fifth money laundering directive was a thing. So we could do small transactions with little to no KYC and things like that for cash. And then COVID came along. We, at this point, we launched in, it was officially November or December 2018. We had Lightning deliveries enabled. Uh, we was the first uh, to offer Lightning deliveries as well. So from the outset, we had that, that platform available and we've watched other people make that possible now, which is uh, great to see. And then when COVID hit, we had this uh, chain of like retail locations around the world in, in the UK, in some countries in Europe, in Canada, where people could go into store uh, and use cash to, to buy Bitcoin through us. But then, unfortunately, when I was planning the business, I didn't foresee the whole world going crazy and all of the retail locations closing down and things. Uh, and then also around the same time, we had some challenges with the, the fifth money laundering directive from the European Union. So we had to introduce customer accounts and we had to start doing KYC uh, and things like that, which is frustrating as it is as a business. We've tried to always maintain that we'll have a, a light as touch as possible. We don't do like massive volumes of transactions per customer. So we don't, um, not with fast Bitcoins anyway, uh, like huge transactions. And we have added additional payment mechanisms so people can pay like, by bank transfer in Australia, um, can pay by Interact e-transfer in Canada. We've launched it recently in Brazil um, where people can pay using PIX or the Boleto system. Um, we also have uh, about 50,000 locations where People in Brazil can take uh, cash into the Loterica stands uh, and buy uh, or deposit to their Fast Bitcoins account through these uh, lottery stores. And we've now taken uh, the model of uh, we're going to try and make it just possible to, to onboard more and more Bitcoiners in a uh, platform that doesn't promote shitcoinery, uh, that doesn't promote gambling. Uh, we want to help people use Bitcoin more as a savings technology or as a vehicle um, for you onto Lightning to, to actually use Bitcoin in their day-to-day -day life. Um, we've got a whole bunch of plans. The, the future will just enable us to uh, amalgamate and create more, even more of a bridge between the old and the new. So that's where we're heading. So we just want to make Bitcoin accessible. Uh, so we, will, we, we have a bit of a, a tagline. Uh, internally because we don't like HSBC for the amount of shit talk they do about Bitcoin. Uh, and one of their one of their marketing lines is uh, the world's local bank. 
So we want to create the world's local Bitcoin company to make them irrelevant. Right. So it's a range of services there. So I think, as you were saying, starting out in the early days, it was around vouchers uh, and ATMs. But now it's more, you know, there, there is an online service aspect of it, uh, but also still offering different payment mechanisms there for people. And um, you mentioned as well around 5 AMLD or 5th AMLD. So for listeners who aren't familiar, that's like the a big regulation that came in the EU and unfortunately caused a lot of problems for a lot of Bitcoin companies. So do you want to just outline a little bit about the challenges there and what the scene was like pre-5 AMLD and now what it's like in the 5 AMLD era? Yeah, so before the the fifth mobile laundering directive came into effect, in some countries um, and some jurisdictions where they didn't have local registrations or local guidance, you could do um, transactions under like local laws or below a certain threshold without having to, to obtain your, your customer's information and verify that information or, or take much of a detailed, in-depth uh, view as to who your, your customers are. You didn't have to treat everybody like a criminal or, or anything like that or assume that every single customer, because they was buying Bitcoin, they was trying to fund some terrorist organization uh, somewhere. Uh, and then when the Fifth Money Laundering Directive came into effect, basically what they said was, each of the, the countries have to enact their own registration requirements for companies or people that are undertaking commercial activity, offering the, the exchange, uh, like the VASP is the term they use, the virtual asset service provider. So if you're commercially offering an exchange, you have to be registered. And the, the UK kind of took that guidance and went overkill, uh, in my opinion, so basically, and we're also seeing this in Australia now for new registrants, uh, Chain Analysis, the company, uh, have run around and sat underneath, the, put their feet under the table with all of the regulators. Uh, so the regulators want like your company's hot and cold wallet IDs. They've done it with payment processes as well. So if you're trying to engage with uh, new payment processes to create competition to drive down uh, your fees and things for, for, your, for, for your customers, um, the language is always the same of what they're requesting. We as a company openly uh, with the, the Australian uh, Bitcoin Industry Association body uh, with Ethan from Bitterroot and a whole bunch of other Bitcoin only operators in Australia, we're pushing back against it um, because it's just a, a massive overreach that's practically impossible to actually implement because as we know, we can create wallet addresses like ad infinitum. So it's bonkers and it's, it's like a massive overreach uh, and they've taken this guidance uh, and each of the, the countries that did it have taken their, their own approach. So some are much better than others and then some have gotten into bed with private actors like chain analysis and stuff. So it's been a bit of a headache trying to navigate it all whilst also being able to continue providing a real good level of service to the customer. And I think we're, we're finding a balance of trying to not be too invasive where we don't have to be without it actually impacting the customer uh, and giving them the, the smoothest way of getting involved uh, in Bitcoin. That's all we can do. Um, it's either that or we can create maybe 10 Bitcoin a month doing it personally, which isn't going to help us reach the, the goals that we want to see in the world when it comes to Bitcoin. We need billions of people using Bitcoin, in my opinion. Others may disagree, I'm sure. Of course, yeah. And I think it's really interesting that you were pointing out the efforts there around at least trying to push back on government over-regulation. As my friend Matt O'Dell is uh, often 
saying that Bitcoin companies are maybe more like the big crypto companies of the, you know, that's inverted commas crypto, that is, that they should be fighting back against the government. Now, that is a difficult thing because obviously I, you know, I'm, I'm a libertarian, I'm anti-government regulation. I just also think it's extremely difficult to do that when the government is basically holding that regulatory sort of Damocles over your head that if you don't comply that, and, and so that's a real challenge because what happens then is some of these chain analysis and the like, other surveillance companies like CypherTrace and so on, that they are basically running around and trying to tell the regulators that this is the way Bitcoin is and this is what should be done. Uh, but really, it's their own business model, which uh, is quite frustrating. They're, and, they're uh, literally trying to hoover up all of the data because it's the only way they can have like a, an inform, a semi-informed system to be able to sell to other regulators and other providers. And if you don't use, if you're not a client of theirs, then they don't have your wallet information. They can. It's a best guess that that's your that that's your set of wallets or they, they can take a guess but if you're a client of theirs you have to provide them information which helps improve their product um, but what they're doing is they're just going screw actually doing the business side let's just go straight into the government and get them to do it all for us uh, which is extremely frustrating uh, but we we are 100% pushing back I even moved out of the UK to this little rock in the middle of the Irish Sea I, I, if I disagree with the government's decision I can literally walk across the street knock on the door and tell them how wrong they are and you can have a conversation about it. So it's a, a complete, completely different business environment. And I think Bitcoin, probably it's only Bitcoin that gives you that freedom and that mobility to be able to migrate to where you're going to get treated best. And I think you, you've done it yourself, trying to uh, escape in Australia when they was going insane with the, the, the power hungry structures during the, the COVID lockdowns and stuff. Um, if it probably wasn't for Bitcoin, you had a, a, a fiat-based job that was stuck in a city or if you're stuck in London, you don't have that freedom. Building on Bitcoin has enabled me to come over here. The government here have been more than welcoming. They want to help create jobs locally. They're all for Bitcoin com or Bitcoin companies coming here. And they have opened a door to some shitcoiners, but we're working on that. We are actively orange-pilling the, the government and making it hostile <laughs> for the, the shitcoin casinos. But yeah, it's much better and Bitcoin's given us this freedom to be able to, to move and build elsewhere while still accessing those same markets, um, which is magnificent. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think that's actually part of this whole global jurisdictional competition aspect because as we're seeing, there are some up-and-coming countries that really want to create opportunities. And on the other hand, you've got these other nations that are perhaps a little sort of starting to stagnate a little bit. And so that's an interesting game, I guess, in some sense that people can try to look for better opportunities in other countries as, as you are doing and as many Bitcoin people are doing. But um, I suppose at the same, at the end of the day, though, you're still trying to serve customers all around the world. So that's an interesting um, balance that you're trying to meet because there might be customers well, there are many customers all around the world who are in some of those countries that are very authoritarian or in other ways, you know, not ideal for them. But maybe if you could just share a little bit about some of the markets that you're operating in and what it's been like just expanding out into new markets around the world. So when when I set out, I, I didn't want to create a company that was just based in, in one jurisdiction where we could get rug pulled by the local government or the banking partners or, or anything like that. So from the from the outset, it's been let's create this wide footprint so we can become somewhat, dare I say, anti-fragile. 
Um, <laughs> so basically, it's also now that the, the regulatory environment is changing and shifting around the world, we actually find it much more conducive to a better relationship with the regulators because we don't offer any, sorry for the language, um, any bullshit shit coins. Uh, we're not looking to create a casino. We're, we're, we're not wanting people to, to, to come and trade with leverage and uh, like degenerate gambling or anything like that. Um, we, we speak to regulators all over the world. Um, we've got FinCEN registration now for the US, but I'm not actually overly concerned with running with that too much just yet because uh, we're in Brazil and the initial conversations that we've had in Brazil with our customers that have signed up from there, it's just a population that get it so much more than what our customers in, say, the UK that have lived throughout their entire lives with a stable financial system. They've got instant bank settlements between banks. There's no charges for using another bank's ATM machine to get cash out. They have contactless payments in the, the stores and things. And inflation, although now is becoming an issue, in Brazil, it's already the headline numbers are, are far higher than what they are across, um, say, the US or the UK or the Eurozone. As much as I don't trust the numbers coming out of the governments, I also, the, the, the numbers in Brazil are probably far higher than what the government's coming out with there. So, but as a population, they just get it. They are concerned around privacy and what information can be shared with the, the government and stuff like that. So we as a company are pretty adamant. I can sit here and say it and people will say, oh, you won't say that until the police come knocking on your door or things. But I sit on this rock in the middle of the RSC. So the Brazilian government have a long way to come and visit me for, for things like that. But then even, even though uh, we take that attitude and that approach, we still operate within the, the framework of their laws. So we have limits and things in place. So we don't have mandatory reporting. If they change those limits, we'll probably change them. Or if we ever have mandatory reporting to any government of any like every transaction or anything like that, I'd rather not be in that market because it's not something that I'd ever endorse. I'd rather take the business out of the, the market than sell my soul for, for revenue. Even though uh, as a Bitcoin-only company, again, conducive to, to a better relationship and they, they listen to us because we do deal with like Austrac in Australia. We've dealt with the FSA here on the island. We've previously dealt with the FCA in London, FinTrack in Canada, FinCEN and everybody. So having those conversations um, and being able to do it with a worldly view is actually kind of eye-opening. And I can tell you now, there is more and more people in these departments becoming orange-pilled and they see the, the crap that comes through the door from shitcoiners. And that's what makes them like so defensive uh, but when you actually go in and you have a level conversation with them uh, and honest about the, the good parts about Bitcoin, the bad parts, because believe it or not, there are some bad, part, bad parts about Bitcoin. Uh, it's not perfect. Twitter is probably going to kill me again uh, for saying that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's um, just having conversations like with anything. It's all about communication. And if you, you run into a regulator's going, this is going to replace every central bank and it's going to happen overnight and the financial world is going to collapse. I, I don't want to live in that world because that world is hell. If, if we get to that state suddenly overnight, I'd much rather take a, a slowly, slowly approach to, to replacing them or replacing the, the people in these institutions with well-orange-pilled, educated people. Right. And so 
I'm curious as well, what's your take then on are there places in the world that you see as being better for like from a Bitcoin point of view or maybe the regulators are taking more of a light touch versus the heavy touch? Just points well, Salvador. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So here... um, like it's a small island, like so smaller places with smaller populations. This could, this is like a double-edged sword. Um, in Cyprus, it was really good to start with, and then it got used against me. And this includes like marketing, the media, the the government, the regulations, people's access to police departments, um, and the the corruptibility of local um, people. But so so when it's working for you, it's amazing. But it can also be flipped and used against you. Um, and you can be targeted, and um, it's amazing what Reuters will syndicate from some small press in a foreign language um, to to label you as one of the worst people in the world. Um, but so ignoring my bitterness from the past, having being able to move to these smaller locations and jurisdictions where you can have these conversations where people are much more accessible, I, I would say it's definitely those types of uh, jurisdictions. Or the places where the the president is buying the dip on his mobile uh, whilst <laughs> meeting other government leaders and stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's to think this is where we are <laughs> in the whole cycle of things. Um, I'm still waiting for El Salvador to get a big dose of freedom from the US, courtesy of the IMF. But yeah, we'll see how that plays out. So yeah, smaller jurisdictions where they've got the flexibility to be able to. To just have the conversations with the people that make the the power and make the rules um, that control the biggest gang on the island, uh, which is obviously the police. Um, they have the more guns and stuff like that. So yeah, the places where you can have the dialogue, I would say. Back to the show in a moment. Are you interested in getting started with Bitcoin mining? Compass Mining can help here. With compassmining.io, you can go and select your hardware machines. They've got all sorts of different ASICs featured, and they've also got some ASICs that you can order for home mining for those of you in the US. And they also have some ASICs that are available as reseller devices. And so you can have these machines sent to a facility and have them plugged in and turned on. You pay the hosting and you select the mining pool to point your hash rate towards, and then you are receiving SATs. Also, Compass Mining are putting out a range of content, whether that's their newsletter, their podcast material. You can use this material to educate yourself about Bitcoin mining. That website is compassmining.io. Are you worried about single points of failure in your Bitcoin security setup? Unchained Capital can help you with collaborative custody. Now, with the collaborative custody setup, you hold two hardware wallets in different locations and Unchained can hold the third key for you. Now, if you're a little bit confused and you're not sure how to do this, they offer a concierge program. And this is very popular. It's an easy way to improve your security and take away those single points of failure. So with this program, you can order some hardware wallets to your home. You can have a video call to teach you how to do this, even if you've never held your private keys before and you'll have some Bitcoin deposited in your vault. So this is an easy way to get started. Go to unchained.com, select the concierge onboarding program, use the code Levera for a discount. If you're looking for Bitcoin hardware security, check out the cold card over at coinkite.com. Now, I recently spoke again with NVK, and we spoke about the updates coming with the Mark IV. So this one will have NFC 
faster processor, more RAM, and all sorts of features to check out. Now the cold card supports multi-signature as well, so you can use it either in single signature or multi-signature and have it as part of your overall setup. With the cold card, you can use it air-gapped as well, so you can get a micro SD card and use that to shuttle the transaction or XPUB information back and forth. So that website is coinkite.com and use the code LAVERA for a discount on your cold card. Back to the show with Danny. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And now the way I see it and hear it and understand it as well is that sometimes there are super governmental or super national organizations such as FATF, Financial Action Task Force, uh, where they try to leverage pressure against other countries and say, hey, if you're not doing quote unquote enough against AML, you're, we're going to blacklist you and we're going to make you look like a tax haven and blah, blah, blah. And that's really bad for you, your little country. You better, you better obey our you know, money laundering dictates, dictats. Um, so I guess that's, that's like the counter argument there. But I think the point you're making though is, I think that is broadly right, at least from what I understand, is that the smaller, perhaps some of the smaller nations tend to be a bit more nimble and a little bit more able to turn a little faster whereas obviously the big western nations are like trying to turn this big uh, big cruise liner ship so that's that's at least how i'm seeing it in in the uk i know the the fca were internally celebrating companies like dropping their applications um the applications that should have taken like six months that have now taken two years and they've got temporary lists and approvals and things so yeah it's a bit of a shit show from them um and as you say, with, with like FATF and stuff, he is labelled uh, a low-tax jurisdiction. It's a British Crown dependency. There's a zero corporation tax, uh, zero, zero capital gains tax, which is the big one for Bitcoiners. But the government here can't create debt, so they have to live within their means. And um, my, my message and pushback from the, um, from the government is, sorry, you're, if you consider we're a low-tax jurisdiction, we live within our means, but sorry your government can't live within theirs and they spend recklessly, um, that's not our fault. What are we going to do? How, where, where should we spend this excess revenue if you want us to tax people more? People here are happy. Um, we, we have every, every cow on this island is grass-fed. Um, our milk tastes better. Our meat tastes better. The, the air is fresh. What, what more do you want us to do? Like Just take money off people because you want to spend more? We should tax our people higher? Um, yeah, it's, it's it's insane. So, and then, but I, I see your point with the the grey list because they did it to Malta. We was looking for like a, a European subsidiary because there's some more legislation coming in into Europe called Mika. So we we've gone with Ireland for structural purposes. Plus, it's also 20 minutes over the water to us. But Malta was uh, we was looking at Malta as well. But because all of the accountant friendly money left Cyprus before the bail-ins, and moved to Malta, so it became the accounting capital of Europe, and now they've been added to this grey list or whatever it is for the time being, which would have just caused headaches trying to do business in other parts of the world for us, because like you say, they, they have this stick they can use to, to beat the, the jurisdictions like that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, nevertheless, I think I still believe getting more people invested in Bitcoin in general is going to help overall. And now I understand that there are people in the Bitcoin broader world who don't necessarily share that view that they think it's going to remain, I guess, maybe the way they would frame it is more like, you know, you have to go no KYC because they're going to come for everyone anyway, eventually. But I think there are different approaches to that. I think there might be some who think that longer term, if Bitcoin becomes legal tender, well, then some of those concerns will wash away over time. 
So, I, I mean, it obviously depends what the focus is. I mean, those who are more focused on privacy versus, you know, those who are more about the wealth creation or savings aspect of it. Um, but I want to go back to what you were saying just around inflation and the understanding around it. Because you were saying, as you, as you were saying with Brazil, that uh, people understand inflation a lot more intuitively than, let's say, in some of the Western world nations. So, one thing I've seen or heard of is that a lot of people end up, even in the Western world, go, going and gambling, right? They're gambling on random meme coins or meme stocks or things like that. So JPEGs. Yeah, JPEGs is the latest one, right? <laughs> and um, so how are you finding that there in terms of, um, you know, trying to get the message out and the education out there as well on the Bitcoin side? It's difficult because most people are being educated through sales material. And that sales material is geared towards pushing them into speculating and when all all of the the noise um around the whole industry is is about that it's purely educational and like you've also been through this with like the ministry of nodes and trying to create an educational platform uh, and we've done uh, and we're going to be doing some work with the the ministry of nodes in australia um really looking forward to that to be able to to try and actually speak to people um and through through advertising we're literally going to have to market in an educational fashion so we'll be doing exactly the same thing but we're just going to make sure that our message is um, as pure as can be there is always this um the purism product trade-off ultimately we we are a business and we think that we're doing things the right way Uh, i'm pretty sure that people will disagree as they always do especially on twitter so yeah all, all we can do is just try and remain pure to what we think is right and so far, we've got a, a common message that we've been putting out from the very beginning is we do what we have to do. We do uh, as much as we have to do. We won't step over that, but I'm not going to go to jail for anybody. And I want to also help create as many Bitcoiners as we can, like educated Bitcoiners that understand why Bitcoin exists. And if people want to use it for privacy reasons or to, to move themselves and their family across borders and uh, things like that, still have the, the philosophy that everybody is open to using Bitcoin, even your worst enemies. Um, so you just have to accept that, even if you're the most privacy-focused person in the world and or you just want to see the number go up and you're using it uh, as an investment, you have to be accepting that both of these entities will be able to use Bitcoin, uh, in, including the, the people that you hate the most on the planet. So I'm a little bit on the fence with it. Or yeah, I'm just sure don't have the time i just want to create more give more people access to something that's useful period these days yeah and um so with the different products out there i know as you mentioned with the pos terminal can you tell us a little bit about that and whether you know how how you're seeing that going in you know some of those countries like brazil as you mentioned so we haven't actually put our own hardware into Brazil, but the, the one time that the biggest humbling moment for me was watching a guy that created a random video in a store in Vancouver buying a protein bar and some chocolate using lightning uh, a couple of years ago, just randomly uh, getting tagged in that, in that video. It was just insane. It was like, I built that in my loft whilst I was fighting extradition. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then things like BTC Pay Server uh, came along when uh, Nicholas Dorier obviously got fed up with uh, BitPay, uh, which is amazing. And just even uh, here on the island, there's a there's Coin Corner, which is literally in the office next door. 
people might say, oh, you're a competitor. Um, I don't think anybody with the same philosophy anywhere in the world, be that Swan, River, Amber, Bitteroo, anybody that is saying the, the same messages about being Bitcoin only, trying to educate people, I think we're all trying to grow the market of educated Bitcoiners as opposed to competing for the same business. Um, so I cheerlead them all and I tell them like Corey, everybody um, that I love what they're doing and we're borrowing like we, I, I literally look and go, this is what they do great. How can we do that uh, and incorporate those things? Swan's the amazing content marketing that they've done in the, the harsh environment of the regulations around marketing and stuff. So hat tips to everybody. But on the island, like Coin Corner, I've got loads of stores where you can go and pay at the point of sale using Lightning. I'm probably the most prolific shopper on the island using Sats. Um, right, and literally my haircut yesterday, um, and then my, my lunch the day before uh, using using Lightning and being here and seeing people do it all over the world. Bitcoin for payments is still very very early, so we're not really focusing it as a business. It's more of a I literally built the ability to pay with Lightning in 2018 as a weekend thing. Oh, this would be cool if we did this on the devices as well. I had the ideas in Cyprus back in 2013 and 2014, but it was far too early, really. Um, and it's still probably, for me, a bit early for payments on Bitcoin. We haven't got enough users of Bitcoin, if you will, uh, in the world just yet. But stage one of our vision is to, to create that mass of Bitcoiners. So we can start using it uh, more for payments and stuff. Yeah. And I think the other aspect that makes it, that can be difficult operating in so many different countries is all the, uh, like dealing with the fiat side of it. Obviously, like the Bitcoin side is the easy side, but having to have fiat banks, and as I'm sure you're aware, uh, and some listeners might be aware, is that a lot there are a lot of bank shutdowns for Bitcoin companies. So they often get their accounts shut down. I know of colleagues all over the industry who have dealt with this. Uh, what has that been like for you with, with trying to operate across different countries and still trying to keep the fiat rails working? Because obviously you're an ex you want to be able to sell Bitcoin to people, they need to be able to get the fiat into you. Yeah, so back in 2013, we used to get emails from the banks, like with everybody CC'd into the same emails, be that us, Bitcoin Swiss, there was like BTCE, Mount Gox was like still around at the end. Like everybody that was running, like or trying to speak to banks at that time to get bank accounts, were um, it, it was literally copied into the same rejection email. Uh, it was laughable. Like data protection, <laughs> that thing. Um, it just doesn't really count if you're a Bitcoin uh, service provider or anything. You're trying to do anything uh, around Bitcoin because like BitInstant was on that email. Um, well, it was Charlie Shrimp's company. There was a whole bunch of like early like, Bitstamp and stuff like that. It was like no, uh, we can't deal with you. And then things have changed. It's still ridiculously difficult, especially as if you're an individual and you've, you're acting like as a sole trader and things that or just an independent trader if you're doing like large payment volumes through your accounts and stuff that they're, they're all over it uh, and as soon as you mention bitcoin they jump on it um and they close you down and like the 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 freedom to do business with whoever you want should be a thing but they they have this like moat that is protected so there's been some pushback in australia around uh deplatforming and stuff but we've 
again, because of our footprint around the world, we get to have these conversations. And we've been talking to banks about integrating, like providing them the infrastructure to offer their customers their access to Bitcoin through our infrastructure that we've built. But And just speaking to the compliance departments, and they're so anti-Bitcoin because the sad fact is like 95% of payment fraud issues that they have touches crypto at some point along the chain because it's it's the best way for the, the fraudster to get exit because it's irreversible um, and it's much easier than getting cash out of an ATM uh, to get irreversible funds. So I, I see why they have so many issues with Bitcoin as a whole, because when your day job is literally just dealing with this shit and it is the, the bad end of the, the stick, um, and they're dealing with people that have been ripped off or scammed or coerced into like sending somebody Bitcoin or some other garbage coin as a means of separating them fraudulently from their, their cash, then, yeah, those people, and these are the ones that are making the decisions to close people's accounts. So I get it as to, to why they would feel that way. But being able to have those conversations, again, just communication with the right people enables you to build and maintain the relationship and um, like we, we do a whole bunch of safeguarding with our customers to make sure they're not being coerced into buying Bitcoin to send it to some guy that tells them that they're mining diamonds in Zimbabwe. They've never met this person, but they think they're engaged. And you'd be absolutely astounded to, to hear some of the stories. And if we can stop those from happening, um, just by, again, like, communication talking with customers as they're, they're using us for the first time then uh, I, th- I think that's a positive thing and we communicate this with the banks and the financial service providers and the payment platforms and they get it but it's again it's all just about communication yeah and i think the other angle with that as you say with communication is that as things scale as a lot of people come and so the bitcoin industry as, a, as you are very well aware is this very it's not just like a linear sort of thing. It's like very, there'll be moments where it just comes like a massive wave and then it's doldrums for a little while. I guess that's something you would have seen in your Bitcoin career, haven't you? Yeah, and every every, every time we go through these insane cycles where we get this mass influx of people, um, I get pretty tired pretty quick. There was a conversation yesterday, uh, I think it's Bitcoin Magazine that hosted it between Alex Svetsky and who's the the fool that thinks uh, Bitcoin's gonna have have to change to? Oh, Bitboy Crypto. Oh, yeah. Uh, what a clown! These people have platforms, and people listen to them, and they they sit there talking about all of the people they've helped make money. Everybody's a genius in the bull market when money's being created like it is being um, across every asset class. Um, fails to mention that on the the back end of every trade, there's two parties. So if one person's winning, the other person's losing in that trade, ultimately. So somebody's either selling too early or someone's buying too late. So they they can talk about how much money they're cre- like creating for their followers and stuff. But these people disappear the minute everything goes to shit uh, and we go through the winters. That's when all the best conversations have. That's when Bitcoin seems to move forward the most where the most innovation seems to occur. We hash out the problems amongst ourselves, the people that actually have been around and understanding. And don't get me wrong, there's people that could discover Bitcoin today that would know far more than me in three months' time and just get it even better. There's, there's just so much to, to know and understand. And they, they very much surpass what I know and what I've 
but I've been through the, the cycles um, and I've seen the people come and go. And it's the same salespeople and marketing departments that, that are just like wishy-washy. Uh, they're only here when the times are great. Um, and I always use, um, there's a guy that always does courses. Quite uh, like the influencer type, isn't it? But when he comes around, I know we're like we're hitting peak. Um, he's the guy that advertised on uh, all on YouTube all the time. James Altucher and Ty Lopez when those guys show up. Ty Lopez, Ty Lopez. When they're around and when they're mentioning Bitcoin or whatever, it's like yeah, we've hit peak. Soon it'll be the winter again. <laughs> Can't wait so we can get back on with some business um, and actually start like continue building the, the the good stuff instead of having to, to field uh, 100 calls a day from people that you went to school with like asking if you should buy this or you should sell that it's uh you can just get on with actually <laughs> building cool stuff yeah and so then one thing that i've noticed even for me personally and i guess for me that's because i'm a content creator so i can just point people to this episode when i get the question and be like hey this episode or hey that read this article and things like that so i guess that's a similar thing, um, but I mean, just generally, even when you're trying to scale a business, right? Like, not everything can be done person to person. There, there are times where you need to automate things, where you need to kind of have systems. And but I guess the challenge for you is around finding that right balance of building and automating things versus how, what things are just done person to person because you know we're not at that point yet. Uh, so. Uh, and sort of bringing that back then to the Bitcoin ethos and building usable products and services, what does it look like for you guys when you're thinking about products, services that you want to offer? How do you do? You like workshop them? Do you sort of play around and then see what's the feedback from the market? If if it's me that comes up with an idea, it's probably at stupid o'clock in the morning <laughs> before before most other people are awake. I'm either like in the gym, on the treadmill, listening to a podcast, thinking, "Oh, this is a." How could we use this? For, I, I try, I listen to your podcast and a, a couple of others, but I try to listen to things outside of the, the echo chamber. I find, I think you definitely have the most educational because you can, you got the technical side down far more than what you'd probably even give yourself credit for, but you've got obviously the economic background and things like that. And plus you're now traveled and experienced in the market. I remember when you were first went full time with the podcast and and I was like, yes, we've got some great content here, but I, it's enough smoke up your backside. <laughs> the, uh, so yeah, just listening to content outside, like other business leaders um, uh, and things like that to, to try and just gauge what other businesses are doing, what they're working on, how that would impact us, anything we can take from them and how, it, how we can apply that. Just listen to uh, the innovation stack from the guy that co-founded Square with Jack. Listening to that was great. Like, there's no experts in innovation. So it's uh, just trying to pull ideas from, from other places uh, and things like that to, to see how we can apply those lessons to what we're building. And then I will pitch any of my ideas to the team. The team do the same back to, to me and everybody else. And we, we just hash them out. And then if we can build like a, a prototype, we'll do that. Uh, we'll work on that and see. And then we'll uh, test it in the market when we can into the different markets where we can get it signed off and we're happy that it's not going to cause us too many problems or anything like that. Just like the my f most fun project was probably Heartbeat, which allows customers to dollar cost average on every new block. <laughs> so they're literally buying on the heartbeat of Bitcoin, a, a tiny piece of uh, demand for the, the new blocks that are created. And But that's definitely like a hardcore maxi type 
focused product, but just good th- good things like that. Um, and it also educates new customers into like what is heartbeat and what is the heartbeat of Bitcoin. Uh, and for me, it's the, the every new block that's created. It means Bitcoin's still alive and we're, we're moving forward. I'm curious as well, your thoughts on where stable coins are going, because one thing that I've noticed, at least from my travels as well, even in South America, Central America, it seems that there is a bit of a demand for them, even though those of us from the Western world think, oh, what's the point? I'm, I'm just hodling Bitcoin. But it, it does sort of come across the radar a little bit when you're talking to people from those parts of the world where there seems to be a very strong demand for it. And I guess the question then is, do you see a role for that as part of Bitcoin companies? Should Bitcoin companies interface with stable coins or should they just stick to not even touching stable coins? Strike have recently had a bit of flack for this. I would say that their their sales pitch, if that's what you want to call it, or their pitch to the world is Bitcoin, but it's actually stable coins behind it and they use Bitcoin for the transfer mechanism. Just looking at what they're the way they position it, you wouldn't think that from the outset. So I can see why people are pushing back on that, um, especially when it, these people that want purism versus product and they're more on the purism side. As for other Bitcoin companies, I think stable coins will probably solve a problem for some companies, companies that don't have local banking infrastructure that can fall back on like Tether or any of the other places. But I think they all require like a level of education for the customer to understand that, yes, this digital representation of the dollar is held here, not here. These are the risks because you are introducing uh, additional risks and Bitcoin carries risks as well. But the, the customer, I think, as long as the customer knows what they've got and where they actually stand with it, I think, yeah, th- there's probably going to be space. Uh, both will exist whilst the, arguably the dollar is a little bit more day-to-day stable against the against bitcoin ultimately that's what it is even though it's it's slowly dying yeah and it could also just be the legal privilege aspects of it right there's no capital gains when you spend uh fiat money yeah you know it's it's a very difficult problem with an imperfect solution um so maybe there's somebody much smarter than me out there that will come out with a a solution to that problem but uh i look forward to that day uh, and i'll probably use it and i I would say to other people yeah you should probably use this as a as a product but just like everything in life, there's trade-offs. Just try and be as informed about them as possible. And then, yeah, I, even with that statement, I think it's most people don't care in their life. They just use whatever is easy. And they, they have no concern for privacy, inflation until it's too late. Or, yeah, they, they just go with whatever's easy or whatever the crowd's doing. Yeah, and I think that comes to the conversation as well around is the goal, and I guess this maybe people have their own views on this about mass adoption is is mass adoption the goal or is there uh, there's some segment of the bitcoin world who's out there saying no the focus should be the remnant so i'm wondering where you stand on that kind of (laughs) idea like should the focus be the mass adoption or should the focus be the remnant or is there something else i think i probably stand in a very different position to like alex svetsky on this I'm pretty sure that's where the the remnant idea. Oh, it was around well before, but uh, I think you know Svetsky was recently writing about it and speaking about it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he's ran with it. I, I think Bitcoin has the potential to make the world a better place, but to do that, I think we need uh, as many people exposed to the ideas um, as possible. 
and also educated to actually understand. I think Bitcoin needs it to be able to carry on into the future in the next couple of generations that understand why there's a hard limit on the issuance um, and not people that have just existed in a world where that's just the thing and then they don't take it seriously anymore. I think as a multi-generational um, approach to to the whole Bitcoin position in the world, I'm quite happy to say that I don't want mass adoption overnight because that would mean that so much has collapsed elsewhere in the world that a lot of people in the world are living in a shit situation that's well beyond garbage. Uh, I wouldn't want to live in that world and I wouldn't want to be one of the haves in a world of have-nots because you're pretty easy to find. The privacy people would be like, ha, told you. Um, <laughs> so it's um, for the let's build, let's make improvements. Bitcoin's flawed. Remember, there's bugs in Bitcoin that need fixing. Let's get all of that done and then we can discuss if it's going to be for the few or for for the many. For sure. And so any final tips or words out there for people who are looking to become builders in the space? Do you have any tips or thoughts for them? Talk to others. If your idea is great, people won't necessarily steal it. Um, it takes a lot. Um, it's not easy. Like any startup, it can fail. But if you look to others and you get guidance... And even in like Bitcoin now, there's Bitcoin only investors and things like that. If VC, VC money is for what you're looking to do uh, and you're willing to, to take those trade-offs, there's uh, for like 1031, Forger, Stillmark, all of these people, uh, SAT standard. Um, the, there's the Bitcoin Adventures, which you're involved with, obviously. Um, all of these people are, are looking to back the long-term view instead of the, the quick flip Let's look to exit uh, as soon as possible with a massive multiplier. All of these funds are now here and there's going to be more. I'm pretty sure of it to be able to to get backing and, and capital to build your ideas. Bitcoin needs builders. If if people don't back the companies or use the companies that are, are setting or trying to set the right standards uh, and create this idea uh, that aligns with, with your needs. If somebody turns around to me and says, oh, finance is... A fraction of a percent cheaper I use there, then we're not really aligned, but they'll get there eventually, hopefully. So we, we need more builders and with more builders, we get more power in markets. The, the size of the market will grow. More people will be exposed to your materials uh, and messaging that you're putting out, which is only going to orange pill more people if, you, if you're doing it from a position of what a lot of people say are core Bitcoin values. So, yeah, we, we need more people and I'm always open to, to talking to people. But just remember, it's not easy. Long days, hard work. But when you see somebody using your what you've created on the other side of the planet, it makes it worth it. Absolutely worth it. That's fantastic, Danny. I think that's a great uh, message to finish the show with. And maybe we'll call this episode that. It's Bitcoin Needs Builders. So, Danny, thanks for joining me today. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, absolute pleasure as always. I hope to see you in London. Soon. Hope to see you soon. at a conference. Get the show notes and the transcript at stefanlevera.com slash 345. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.